0: well good morning let's let's go ahead and get started here. Let's open with a word of prayer, Our gracious Father, we do thank you for uh the day lord we I know that many times we begin prayer that way, but I pray that it might not be a lord a uh, spoken series of words that we take for granted Lord we thank you for uh the very life and the breath that we have. Lord, I pray that uh, today you would give us ears to hear. Lord, I pray that I would speak clearly and uh, communicate in a way that is honoring to you. Lord, may you be glorified, Lord, in all things. Lord, may we set our mind on things above and not on the things that are on this earth. For indeed, you have died and your life or our life is hidden in you. And for all these things in Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning. Week 9. I was telling Bill I was supposed to be done when he got back, but we're not. I think everyone kind of remembers where we've been in Colossians. He started out as a, as a letter to a city in Colossae. And uh, to, to a small church there that was started by Epaphroditus. He began with a, with a prayer to the Lord. Where he thanked God for the Colossians and then he prayed and asked that uh, that he would would grow them and equip them to uh, to walk in Him. Paul struggled for the church. Paul struggled for the church. He uh, suffered for the church, and uh, based upon that, he said, "I've got a Basically, he's saying, "I've got a right to." to, to to proclaim to you and to exhort you and to teach you. And he was concerned because there was beginning to be some false teaching, some false teachers in the church. And what we spent the last couple of weeks is some time in verses 8 through 23 of chapter 2, where Paul basically takes the polemic against the false teachers. And what he's battling is the false teachers are saying, You need Christ plus something. And Paul said, No. Christ is the preeminent one. He is sufficient. He is all you need. You don't need human philosophy or human wisdom. Christ is our philosophy. Christ is our wisdom. He said, uh, you don't need the emptiness, the emptiness of uh, worldly substances. Christ is the substance. You don't need religious festivals or holidays or it's not in what you eat or drink. These are shadows. Christ is the reality. Christ is the substance. You don't need the emptiness of experience. You don't need something else. You don't need some ecstatic utterance. You don't need to have visions. No. Christ is all you need. And all these things, all these uh, severities to your body, being strict about diet, making sure you observe all these uh, Sabbath days and holidays, all these legalistic things, in reality, they do nothing to subdue the desires of your flesh. You beat your flesh up, and really all it does is make your flesh be that much more dominant. What you need is Christ. There's nothing else that you need. Nothing on this earth, nothing on this earth advances our Christ-likeness. That's what Paul's getting at. So, this, so since this earth is insufficient, Paul now comes... And it says, once again, what is sufficient? Let's go here for a minute. I'm, I'm going to look through 2 through 8. So that, that's, that is the argument. Insufficiency versus sufficiency. You get a lot of things that are insufficient. One thing that is sufficient. Maybe you can see that. I kind of round out verse 8. Philosophy, empty deceit, elemental spirits and powers. Paul says, don't want to take you captive. Christ is sufficient. Be captive to him. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you. Verses 16 and 17 talks about food, drink, religious festivals, like we went over. Christ is your substance. Let him captivate you. 18 and 19, same thing. Don't let anyone disqualify you or judge you. Talking of worship of angels, experiences, asceticism, which is severity of the body. We to you. I'm going back over it again. But again, then he presents it as being what? It's from Christ that all true growth comes. It's from Christ that growth comes, not these other things. And then why is if you're still alive, do you submit to these things? Why do you submit to human regulations, human wisdom, all these things that are really of no value? Because you've already died to Christ. Why do you act alive to the things of this world when in reality you've died to this world and you've died with Christ and now what? We're alive in him. That's the argument. Living the Christ-centered life, or what Paul's exhortation is now, beginning in chapter 3 is, put on Christ. Living in a risen life with Christ. That's the point. Let's let's read verses uh, 3, chapter 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Today in these verses we begin to look at what we're going to, what we're going to call the practical, the, uh, the applicable. the what I guess all the Scripture is applicable, right? But we're going to start looking at the things. I'm going to call it that, that things where the rubber meets the road as we walk in our walk, in our life. Okay, that's what we're going to begin to look at as we move from chapter 3 on through the end of the book. As we begin to live in this pattern, pattern, as we begin to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, what should our perspective be? Or where should our perspective be? From what perspective should the Christian life be lived? Okay, or one of the original questions in the bulletin was, why should Jesus be the treasure of your life? Okay? Why should Jesus be the treasure of your life? Well, Paul begins to answer those questions. He answers it today. Okay? And with that foundation, the epistle begins to exhort the Colossians to holy living. So he's going to answer the question today. And then he's going to begin his exhortation. In verses 8-23, we saw what Christ did, how everything else was incomplete, but in Christ we were complete. You've been made complete in Christ. Chapter 2, verse 10. Christ is the substance of all the shadows. Chapter 2, verse 17. Christ disarmed the powers of this world. Chapter 2, verse 15. Christ is the source of all of our spiritual growth. Verse 19 of chapter 2. And since all these rules, all these regulations, all these appearances of wisdom, wisdom are ineffective in subduing the sinful nature, you need to focus on things above. Right? You need to focus on things above. Verse three or chapter verse one and chapter three. If then, if then, if all these things are true, then, and if you've been raised with Christ, then, okay what's normal when we say if what's what's that normally what's that word used in condition. it's a condition right this is a condition but it's a condition of i'm going to say it's a condition of uh, reality okay it's a rhetorical question paul you could translate it since since you've been raised with christ and other places it is right but paul what well, does he ask the question if you've been raised with christ and he engages the readers cuz what's our reply what's our reply in our mind? Well, I have been. Right? Cuz he's just made that argument. I have been. He's got him. If you've been raised with Christ. Now, I have been raised with Christ. Okay? Past tense summary statement. Okay? It's happened. It's just, it's a it's a fact. It's you have been raised with Christ. You're not you're not like this. You're not you're not uh, porpoising back and forth. You've been raised with Christ. Okay. What are some of the resu- what are some of the re- the raisings, the resurrections in the New Testament? What are some we can think about? What's one? Lazarus. We all think of Lazarus, right? Lazarus, come forth. Jairus's daughter, right? Remember that? Jairus's daughter. Um, when Jesus died, what happened? Right, and Matthew records it. People, people came up out of the tomb and walked around. Okay, we don't, we we all kind of wonder what that was about, right? Right, the first, the first zombies, right? No, no, no I mean it's true life. People, the point being, Christ raised the dead. He didn't raise a sick Lazarus. You don't get the sense he came limping out of the tomb, kind of stinking. He came out of the tomb alive. And that's what was amazing because they knew he'd been dead four days. Same thing with Jairus' daughter; she sat up and took his hand. She, she was well. Okay, I think the same thing about these people that came up out of the tombs. There was no question whether they were alive or not. That's why Matthew recorded it, it was amazed. But these people all died again. Okay, and they were the second resurrection. Romans 6, Don read that this morning. If you've been united with Christ in his death, we will be resurrected with him. So there's a future resurrection. 6.5 talks about John, Romans 6.5. John 11.24. What, what did Martha say right before Jesus raised Lazarus? When Jesus said he's going to live again? And she says, I know he will live again, Lord, on the last day. So there is an expectation to a future resurrection of the body, but Paul makes a statement: "You've been raised right now." Okay, our hope is also in the future, but we enjoy a raising from the dead right now. We the new life has begun; eternal life has begun now. It's not in the future. Okay, Paul speaks of a resurrection as an accomplished fact. We share in the resurrection power. Romans 6, verse 4. You've been raised to walk in newness of life. Galatians 2.20, I ended the service with it, right? I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, right? We have died to sin. In Christ's death, we died to sin. And based upon that, we have an obligation to live and to walk in a new and resurrected life. Okay? Even though our final physical body, our physical death is yet to come. Okay? And when that happens, when we die in this body, then we're going to be released from the effects of sin. But Paul says in a sense, we've been freed from sin now. We are no longer dominated by that sinful nature. We're dead to sin now. We're alive to sin, to, we're alive in Christ now. Okay? The new life is powerful. But so is the, the remaining sin in us. Okay? The new life is powerful, but so is the remaining sin. What's Romans 7 say? Uh, what, what's the whole argument in Romans 7? Paul says, Oh wretched man that I am, I keep on doing. Right? what's in this body of flesh this is the same guy that just says i've been crucified with christ and in romans he's saying oh wretched man that i am so there's there's still that struggle that we have but with christ we can realize the resources to live a life pleasing with christ what's the what is the resource we have to live the life with christ what's the resource he gives to us the holy spirit right I must go so that the Helper can come. That's what Jesus told the disciples. He said, I need to go because you're still stuck in this body. You're still stuck on this earth. And if I don't go, for whatever reason, the Helper can't come. And as long as we're stuck here, as long as we're still living out life here, we need help to live the resurrected life. Now, having reminded the Colossians of the reality of the resurrected life, Paul now exhorts them. He charges them to respond. Okay, we go verse 2 and verse 3. What does he say? If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and... Set your mind on things that are above, not on this earth. Paul exhorts them. He charges them on how they are to respond. If we're to seek the things that are above, what's the number one thing that is above? Christ, right? Seek Christ. If we're to set our minds on things above, where are we not to be setting them? On the earth this this is this is not hard to seek it's imperative it's a command seek the things that are above and it's and it's continuous keep on seeking don't seek once and let it go seek yesterday seek today seek this afternoon seek this week seek in the morning seek in the afternoon seek the things that are above when you're dealing with a a difficult boss or a difficult employee or a difficult situation, or maybe when you're dealing with none of those because you don't have a a job. Seek the things that are above. To seek is to be devoted and serious, to give devoted, serious effort to realize one's desire or objective, to try to obtain something, to keep looking, to set your heart Psalm 73, verse 25 says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. That's one of my favorite songs that we sing here, right? That's the spirit of this seeking. Matthew 6.33, who knows that? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be given to you as well. What are we to Seek. Answer, things that are above, where Christ is. Philippians 3.20 says that our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await the Savior. Okay, Christ is. We seek the things that are above by deliberately and daily orienting ourselves on Christ. Philosophers, these wise men, they begin on the earthly things. They oriented on the earthly, man's wisdom, legalism, philosophies, and they reached for heavenly things. Okay, Believers, those that have been made alive in Christ, it's the opposite. Where are we to seek? Where are we to set our affections? On Christ, on things in the heavenlies, and then it will take care of the earthly. Okay, we're, we're different. We start here. The old saying, He's too heavenly-minded to be of any earthly good. Right? Well, I think I know what they're getting at, but that's not what this says. This says if you want to be of any earthly good, you need to be extremely heavenly-minded, truly heavenly-minded, truly focused on Christ. And not only are we to seek, but we are to set our minds. Again, it is a command in the present, and it's active. It is a command, and it is a continuous exhortation Paul is getting. Keep on setting your minds. Discipline yourself daily. Keep on developing an attitude based on careful thought. Not on earthly things, but on heavenly things. Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves. Don read it this morning have this mind among yourselves which is also in Christ Jesus have the mind of Christ how did Jesus how did Jesus endure the cross how did Jesus endure the cross Hebrews 2 but for the goal that was set before him and what was the goal right the goal was A purchasing of a people, a glorifying His Father. That's why He came and to sit at His Father's right hand. In that sense, to reign and be glorified. And for that, He endured the cross, suffering the shame. He was able to endure all these things on the earth because He didn't keep His eyes on them. He kept His eyes on Christ You know, even Paul said it is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. That's that attitude. Okay, Paul, Paul talks to the Philippians that he's got an affection toward them because he constantly kept his affections on them. That's the setting of your mind. Paul set his mind on the Philippians, therefore there was affection in his heart for them. In the same way, we set our mind on things of above, and we'll have affections for them. Okay, and the. But I didn't make. I'm sorry, let me make that clear. Paul uses the same word there, That setting your minds. He's saying, when he when he said, "We I have this affection for you.' That I had this set mind for you the same way, right? Because he kept them in his mind. We are to keep the things of heaven before us. Where were our minds? Where are our minds not to be set? Earthly things. Practically, how do we go about doing this?" How do we go about negatively? What are some things we sh- we don't do to keep our focus correctly? Or maybe some things we do do. What are some things we do that take our focus elsewhere? Well, if you read a lot of newspapers, read a lot of newspapers. that's right. We talk about it. Read a lot of newspapers. Spend a lot of time watching TV. Spend a lot of time filling up ears with music that maybe is not what focused you maybe perfectly good things maybe you spend a whole lot of time on Facebook okay today right and it's not bad but it's empty who cares if you're going to bake cookies and go walk your dog right but you got to go stop and go to the computer to type that in right you know that's I think the computer nowadays is the main that they focus on more than anything else, and kind of a uh, distraction. It, it is a distraction, Steve. Absolutely. I, mean, I, I use my computer when I study, right? And I've even got, and I've got my browser up because there is some software I use in the browser that helps me. I look at proposition. It, it, there's some help me my study. <laughs> there comes a time when I got to shut all that down and keep up only my Bible software program because. Something will pop into my head and I'll I'll go check something. It is a distraction. As as just an example, it it is so common to be distracted. What is the resource we have to keep our mind where it should be? Christ, the Holy Spirit. He's the one we should count on. He's the one. Now, Paul has just given two commands. Seek, set your minds. Not on earth, but in the heavens. Right now, Paul grounds his appeal, or he provides the foundation of the appeal, in a theological truth. Okay, Th- this is what Paul does. This is what is typical. Okay, he makes his appeal to right thinking about God. Okay, it's a good lesson for us. And I wish there was some. Of the, our young guys are in here this week because they because my daughter said we'll have a t- discussion on. You know, theology, you know, practical versus practical. Right theology, right knowledge of God is the grounds for all enduring right actions. Okay? There's no guarantee you can have great theology and no actions. But I'll guarantee you one thing. You got bad theology, you think wrongly about God, even in a, quote, good way, it will carry out in your life and your and the actions will have no enduring eternal significance. Bad theology will inherently lead to wrong actions or wrong thought. We must think rightly about God. Think, know, act. And maybe for some of say that's for the younger folks. Maybe for some of us older folks that think we know, we maybe need to focus on acting. Okay? carrying out what we believe what's paul's theology here what's he says he says two things you have died and what what else second statement right you have died you're dead to sin sin is no longer dominant and your life is hidden in god or with christ in god so what does it mean to have lives hidden in god with christ what does that mean That's nice. I like the sentence. What does it mean? We take on the righteousness of Christ. Good. Right. The the, the opposite is this. Genesis 3, the curse. The day you eat, you will die. You're dead in Adam. We are now alive with Christ. Right? But not only alive to Christ... In taking on his righteousness, we are safely hidden. Safely hidden. Where? Where are we hidden? It's Christ and God, right? We're not physically hidden, right? I mean, we're right here for everybody to see, right? Right here for evil people and the devil, okay? They, they know where we're at this morning, right? So we're not physically hidden. But it's a sense we're stored away, We're tucked away in God. We are kept safe in him. Right? Moses said, let me see your glory. The Lord said, I'm going to tuck you in the cleft of the rock and put my hand. Even though in that sense, he's seeing God's glory. But God said, I'm going to shield you. I'm going to protect you. Right? For my own glory. Psalm 27.5. David says this. For he, Yahweh, will hide me in his shelter on the day of trouble. Isaiah 49.2 says, He makes my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of His hand, He has hidden me. So Isaiah says, I'm going to say some sharp things that are going to cause people to turn against me. Because He's a prophet. But He says, but in the shadow of His hand, He's hidden me. Ray. I think also that word hidden has a picture of in, in a sense, if something's hidden, we don't necessarily see it. And maybe yes. we don't really see our life as we are. The source of it being in Christ. And as you realize that, you know, that's all the more. A- Absolutely. You're right. It's, I, I, that, is per, that, is, that is perfect. We don't see everything that there is, right? And not only do we not see it, the world doesn't see it either. And that's another sense that we're hidden in God. What does the world think our belief is? What's the word? It's an F word. Foolish. Foolish. They see us and we're foolish. They don't understand. Why in the world would you do what you do? Why would you in the world be concerned about what you're concerned about? Why in the world would you care about what you care? Why in the world would you not care about all these exciting dresses the girls are wearing walking down the red carpet going to the movie? Debut, Right? That is obviously what a lot of people are excited about. Just go to your web page, right? Every other story is about, you know, clothing. That's what I'm saying. So people look at us and they don't understand that. Okay, we're hidden from the world. Who? Bill Maher. Everything we believe is so ridiculous from a very ridiculous individual, right? That's right. We cling to religion. We're dumb. We're dumb. That's what the world says. right? They're blind. They're blind. They don't see. It is the world. It is its inhabitants who do not conceive who we are. They are blind to the truth. 1 Corinthians 2.14 Natural man does not accept or understand us. Matthew 11.25 God hid the spiritual thing from the world and they revealed them to us folks when we when we become in him we become spiritual things our lives become spiritual things and the world does not understand us that's why when we pray pray that god would give people eyes give them ears we must speak the gospel but you know, if you parents, the number one thing you can pray is that God would have mercy upon your children and give them eyes to see and ears to hear and give them hearts of flesh. Because that is the only way that your children will see and understand even though they grow up in a believing home. Only if God gives them or shows them mercy. Now, in the same way the false teachers in Colossae could not understand how the true believers could have true life and true completeness in Christ alone. They didn't understand it. They kept thinking they had to add things to them. And they kept trying to convince the, other, the, the believers, the true and faithful brothers, according to verse 2, that they also needed these things. Our life is hidden. It's tucked away safely in the cleft of the rock. There's no snatching us out of that. Our life is hidden from the world. The world does not perceive us. Who we are. We are aliens in this world. Verse 1 reminded us that we have been raised to a new real life with Christ. Right? Then Paul exhorts us to seek the above things, to set our affections, our desires on heavenly things, not on earthly things, because Christ should be the apple of our eye. We are to keep our eyes in the source of that life, on Jesus who reigns and rules at God's right hand. That is where our eyes should be. And we do this, what? Because we've died to the world. We've died to the world. The world does not comprehend us. Our lives are tucked away safely. We have no fear. Right. Like just like you know the window decal, no fear. Well, unless you're a believer, <laughs> it's a very, very foolish decal. Right. We have no fear. Okay? The true window decal so to speak, right? So what's our motivation? What's our motivation to to do these things? What's our motivation to seek and to set our hearts? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. That's what Paul holds up. That's what Paul holds up as the motivation, the goal, the prize. Not this earth, not things here, But when He appears, we will appear with Him in glory. So why do we do this? What is the impulse that drives us? Our motivation is what? Future glory. Who is our life? Christ. Not biological life, but that real life. That real indwelling life. Paul is relentless in his focus on Christ. Christ. I mean, guys, we're back again at Christ. Okay, see, right? See a common theme? He is relentless. Galatians two twenty. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We died to Christ, chapter two, verse twenty. Chapter 3, verse 3. We are buried with Christ. Chapter 2, verse 12. We are complete with Christ. Chapter 2, verse 10. Our dominating sin nature was removed and our hearts were circumcised by Christ. Verses 11 and 12. We've already been raised in Christ. Chapter 2, verse 13. In the first verse we looked at today. And so when Christ returns in glory so too we will be like him, right? First John says, when he, we will see him as he is because what? We will be like him. First Peter says, right, even now you do not see him, you do not see him but you believe in him and you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. But there will come a day where we will see him. And you know, part of me kind of thinks we're going to be given the ability to express that joy. When we have the eyes to truly see Him, when we are glorified, He's going to give us the voice, the emotions, whatever we will be able to express in this and, and, and rejoice in Him. Because Christ is in us, we have the hope of glory. Verse 27 of chapter 1. There will be a final conforming to the Son's image is what Paul says in Romans, right? After all the travail, after uh, everything is for the believer's good, right? But there will be a final conforming of the sons of God to His image. At the final resurrection, there will be a final glory. Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21, the marred image, the marred image that we inherit from Adam, the lie about God, because we do not reflect Him as He is, there will come a day when that image will be restored, the image that will no longer be marred, and we will reflect Him. And we will truly tell the truth about God, not only spiritually, but physically. We will share in His final glory at His final return. When He comes on the white horse, it says His armies, armies of heaven will be behind Him. in Revelation 19. I believe we'll be a part of that. Verse four says this: Christ is our life. He does not merely give life; He is our life. That's the exciting thing. He does not merely impart, but He dwells within us, and He is our life. All right. All right. Going forward in the, the book. We'll look at Paul as he applies this living in Christ. As he applies, how do we put on Christ? How do we live the risen life? That's what Paul's going to talk. That's Paul's what's going to deal with coming up. Any questions? Any thoughts, Steve? I've got a comment. In uh, so most of the world, they look for intelligence. For the believer, they look for wisdom, and there is a difference. I think a person can be wisdom, have wisdom without the great intelligence. That's right. But but wisdom, the world I think wisdom is that discerning. And from the biblical sense, it's discernment and being discerning. And where do we, there's really two places we, we gain that or, or, or a process. Where do we gain that discernment? As in Scripture, I think we need to know the Scripture, we need to just read the Bible. And study the Bible and just just read we should know it. And the Holy Spirit will illuminate it and we can apply it to life. something like Solomon being wise beyond his years and his understanding. So as a believer, that's that's the wisdom that much of the world sees and they do not understand. It's not mere knowledge, but think, I think wisdom. With politicians right now. There's a lot of intelligent people there, but there's not a whole bunch of wisdom. You are very kind. I'm not convinced there's a lot of intelligent people in, in our politicians. But you're right. There's probably a lot of guys up there that got IQ tests and SAT scores a whole lot higher than me. Right? But you're right. There's but there's many fools. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And there fear of the Lord, you can't be The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That's exactly right. All right, Bill, last last comment. We'll wrap it up. Right? I like the transition that takes place in Psalm fifty one when David comes to God after his adultery with Bathsheba and he confesses so he is an of what his sin has done to him, how it's affected him. And as Psalm fifty one goes on and he begins to confess and repent, you begin to see his thoughts transition to the things that God wants. From this own misery to God's thoughts. So you can see the transition All Right. All right. Good. Psalm 51, you see that transition from our thoughts to God's thoughts. Confession of sin, getting right with God, and then being able to have right thoughts. Ray, do you have something? God, I'm just in verse 3, things are hidden. In verse 4, Christ is revealed. So Christ has seen <laughs> Thank the you. philosophers. He will be revealed. Right. And who we are will be revealed. And then that's also, like you're saying, the motivation. Right. Good. I, thank you for bringing that out. That That's that's the contrast to verses. I did not do that. You're right. Things are hidden. Christ will be revealed. Let's pray. A Gracious Father, thank you for the day. And again, Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that this week that, uh, Lord, in our realization that we've been raised with you, that we would seek the things above, we would set our heart and our affection on the desires that You would have us to. Lord, I pray that we would keep our eyes on You. For Lord, You reign and You rule in heaven and You are over all the earth. Lord, You have defeated and You have disarmed the rulers and powers and You are bringing Your kingdom to pass. Lord, I just pray that we would uh, keep our eyes on You. For when You appear in glory, we will also appear with You. Lord, I pray your blessing upon this week as we go. In Christ's name, amen.